The last time we had this set of scripture readings on June 21st, 2020, I began the sermon by saying, when I read the first lesson and the gospel lesson for this Sunday last week, my first thought was that I hadn't taken any vacation time for a while and that this Sunday would be a good one to take off. Let someone else preach about God telling Abraham in Genesis 21 verse 12 to cave to Sarah and to send Hagar and Ishmael away. And about Jesus saying in Matthew 10 that he came not to bring peace but a sword and that whoever does not take up the cross and follow him is not worthy of him. Well, I must not have scheduled my vacation calendar correctly this year either because here we are again. And my feelings about preaching on these readings really haven't changed that much in the last three years. God's word of law and gospel is not a collection of platitudes or a handy almanac for good living. It's incisive. Like a surgeon's knife, it cuts into us and reveals our diseased insides. It tells the truth about us and shows us how much we have in common with those that we tend to point our fingers at. It makes us realize that under less comfortable circumstances, we might very likely do what some of those bad guys in the Bible do. God's word is not only law, of course, and after cutting into us and exposing our sin, it gives us our Savior, Jesus Christ. The word for Savior in German is Heiland, which, comes, which is derived from a word that means to heal, as from a disease. Jesus is our healer from the hereditary, endemic, and deep-rooted disease from which we cannot heal ourselves. It's called sin. And so to continue with the surgery analogy, God's word is incisive and healing. It's distressing and comforting. It opens us up not to eviscerate us, but to heal the disease within. Still, the story of Abraham and Sarah expelling Hagar and Ishmael from their house is a hard one to hear, especially because in verse 12, God tells Abraham to do as Sarah asks and to put them out of the house. God cares for Hagar and Ishmael and rescues them in the wilderness. But it is natural to ask, did it really have to happen this way? The Bible doesn't shy away from raising that question. If it did, it wouldn't include stories like this. And at some point we have to say, this is not the way I would have done it. But I am not God, which is good. And being faithful means trusting him even when I don't understand his ways or why he allows these things to happen. Like our lives, the story of Hagar and Ishmael, of Sarah and Abraham, is difficult, but it isn't dreadful. 
God is there. God saves. Hope, though bruised, remains. Remember from last week's reading in Romans 5 where hope comes from. It comes from character, which comes from endurance, which comes from suffering. In our fallen world, there is no shortage of that raw material for hope. But it's God, it's God, not ourselves, who brings from suffering endurance, character, and hope. It's not automatic or inevitable. Suffering doesn't just naturally produce hope. It's God who miraculously brings that about. Now, if you'd like to hear a little more about our first reading, or possibly less, I don't blame you. There is plenty more to talk about, and I encourage you to listen online to the sermons from June 21st through 25th of 2014, 2017, and 2020. There is plenty more there. In our second lesson, from the beginning of Romans 6, the Apostle Paul asks and answers that question that occurs to sinners when we hear that we are saved by God's grace despite our sin and not our own righteousness. That question, which begins our second lesson, is, should we continue in sin in order that grace may abound? And Paul answers immediately and emphatically, by no means. A phrase that has been more colloquially translated from Greek as, hell no. And I say that not to be crude, but because that is literally an appropriate response to Paul's question. We need to say no to the hell that is turning away from God. Baptized into Jesus' death and resurrection, we have been tethered to him like mountain climbers roped behind the lead guide, so that having died in him in holy baptism, we also will be resurrected with him to everlasting life with God. Tied to Jesus in baptism, we can live and die without fear, knowing that death can hold us captive no more successfully than it could him. Looking forward to the day when we, like Jesus, will be raised bodily from the dead, we have hope and joy even in adversity. Now, I do want to get to the gospel lesson. So if you're wondering what it means to be a sinner and yet also to have died to sin, as described in Romans 6, you can hear more about that by turning in to the sermons titled While We Were Yet Sinners from March 19, 2017. And with you, I am well pleased from January 13, 2019. And I refer you there because today's gospel lesson deserves our attention. And I'd like to highlight two passages from it. The first is Jesus' comforting assurance of God's care for us. In Matthew 10, verses 29 through 31, he says, Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Yet not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. And even the hairs of your head are all counted. So do not be afraid. You are of more value than many sparrows. 
when thinking about Hagar and Ishmael cast out into the wilderness, or of people we know, maybe ourselves, who seem to be wandering in one kind of wilderness or another. This passage assures us that God does care for us, even in the midst of difficulty. He didn't abandon Hagar and Ishmael, and he will not abandon us. In our first lesson, notice that the angel doesn't merely tell Hagar not to be afraid. He does do that. But God also reveals a way forward. Not a complete picture of the future, but a vital next step in the form of a well. Presumably, the well had been there all along, but Hagar could not see it. So often, what we need is in front of us, but we need God to remove the scales from our eyes and reveal it. When we're trying to discern a way forward, we can pray, asking God to show us at least a next step, to open our eyes like he did Hagar's, and for patience until then. The second passage from the Gospel lesson I'd like to take a moment to reflect on are Jesus' troubling words from verses 40, 34 to 39. Beginning, Do not think that I have come to bring peace on the earth. I have not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father, and a daughter against her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, and one's foes will be members of one's own household. That's scary stuff. It brings us back full circle, reminding us that God's word is comforting, but also cutting, distressingly so. Following Jesus is demanding and costly. We can't do it while reserving the right to have the final say ourselves. We can't do it while pretending that we're really pretty good people and don't really need a savior. We can't do it and be popular with everyone. We can't do it and avoid rejection by our peers. We cannot soft-pedal sin or discount our need for forgiveness. As a church, we try to be both faithful and welcoming, to maintain as big a tent as possible, and to allow for diverse views and ways of life. But there are limits. There are incompatibilities. There are times where we have to say no or stick our head out to speak up for the vulnerable and the unpopular, which is especially difficult when the people with whom we disagree or part ways are loved ones, family, friends, colleagues, and fellow church members. That's what Jesus is talking about in Matthew 10. He will be a cause of division, and he prepares us to face that. Jesus offended people and was despised in his time, and his disciples will be too. That means us. And while we don't seek to cause offense or division, Jesus does tell us to expect it, and he prepares us to endure it. That may not seem like a form of God's care, but in fact it is. 
In verse 39, Jesus says, Those who find their life will lose it. And those who lose their life for my sake will find it. When faced with controversy, we naturally want to preserve our lives, our relationships, our comforts, and our reputation. But Jesus warns us that we will have to make choices between him and the world, between preserving our lives and prerogatives on the one hand and really living on the other, even when it means suffering as a result. Thanks be to God, by whom we are fearfully and wonderfully made, who gives us life that is difficult but not dreadful, and who cares for us and leads us to wells in the wilderness. Thanks be to God, who by his suffering has freed us from slavery to sin, so that we might walk in newness of life, who gives us the faith, love, and courage to suffer for his sake, and who from suffering brings endurance, character, and hope.